You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 98. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits Podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and as always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here for the next 20, 30 minutes or so. We'll see. We'll see. I really want to jump right into this topic because today we're going to really dive into habits and how you create them. And I call this show College Success Habits because it's geared towards people in school, regardless of whether you're traditional or non-traditional. We're seeking success in life, right? And my formula for success is mindset plus understanding plus strategy equals success. Those are my three core geniuses. I help people understand a strategy understand the small bite-sized things they can do each day in order to fulfill their goals, right? The processes that you go through to achieve a goal. And then I get into the mindset where you really can build rapport with yourself and understand why it is there are times where everything's going great. And then all of a sudden it goes off the rails a little bit and you find yourself right back behaving the way that you used to, even though you were on this really good path to achieving it differently and doing things differently. And when I look back at who I was in college, I lacked a lot of sense of self, a lot of lack of self-awareness, not so great with my self-management. Social awareness, I felt pretty keen on and absolutely felt like I had my relationship management down to a point Um, As long as people were willing to drink and party with me, I was willing to party and hang out with them. And it's a beautiful world we live in now in this information age where you have every single thing you could ever want to know about human civilization at the tip of your fingers. I'm listening to a podcast called Business Wars, and I'm listening to the one about Amazon versus Walmart right now. And it's just very interesting to listen to the history of Amazon and how it starts up in the mid-90s. Jeff Bezos has this idea he's going to sell books with ultimately the goal to sell everything. And, you know, eventually he wants to dominate like he is. I mean, everything he desired is coming true as far as Amazon's absolute world domination. And Originally, he decided he was going to go after Barnes & Noble. He wanted to be the biggest bookseller. And then, you know, he wanted to take on Toys R Us, become the biggest toy seller. And then he wanted to take on Walmart, just become the biggest seller in general and mission accomplished. And it's just really interesting listening to the timeline, 1994, 1998, 2004. And, you know, remembering 2006 is whenever I first got my Facebook account. And when I traveled overseas, when I first got out of college with that job and how I was using MySpace and Facebook to connect with people, and that's how I was posting where I was at, and that's how I was keeping in touch with people. And It had just gotten to the point where people who didn't have a college email address could sign up for Facebook in 07, 08-ish. And so listening to this timeline and just realizing like how young the internet really is and how back then people didn't think that anyone would shop online. And now the Walmarts and the Targets of the world just ignored the e-commerce space for the longest time and really were thrusted into it. 
because Amazon's intense push, you know, to take down Barnes and Noble, to take down Toys R Us, to take down Walmart, to buy Zappos, all these things that they ultimately ended up doing. And you look back and you're like, wow, this really just started in the mid nineties and we're not even to the mid two thousands yet. The real internet, the way we know it isn't even 20 years old. And I'm, let's say I'm discounting it from 2005, 2006, when I first got Facebook, like we still weren't even using the internet a whole lot. I remember having a computer that I used to, to download music illegally from Napster was what I was still doing with my computer in the early 2000s. Facebook came about and all of a sudden we had social media and that gave us a reason to get on for more than just doing research or, you know, what little shopping we were doing online at that point. And so you really think, wow, 2005, 2006 is when Facebook started to really get big. And, it, you know, that's when it took over UF's campus. And so we're not even to 2026 yet. We're not even 20 years from when Facebook really debuted itself and, and, and started taking over college campuses. If smartphone comes out in 2010. That was 11 years ago. And look at the world we live in now. And so I, t- I say all of that because the widespread panic, casual name drop of one of my favorite bands, the widespread panic that is coming around how we're using the internet, how we're using social media, cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology, Robinhood and Coinbase and, you know, TikTok. And you think about um, how there was this one, there's one app where people actually made like six second videos. I don't even remember that now. I'm sure some of y'all know the name of it. Um, I don't remember the name of it. It doesn't even matter at this point. And I was looking at my phone taking off old social media apps you know, there's, I think there was one called Gather or Happening or something like that. And there's just been all these little ones that tried, you know, just fell to the wayside. Even Snapchat at one point had a huge evaluation and now is, you know, definitely does not because as soon as somebody comes out with a really good app, Facebook and Instagram just copy it, uh, which isn't a surprise because that's been, you know, Amazon's foray since they started getting into this space. And so when we start to think about the habits that run our lives, we really haven't prepared ourselves for what the internet was ultimately going to bring to us, the habits it was going to create within us. The car, the vehicle, the airplane, the train didn't even take off as fast as the internet ultimately has. I mean, we're talking about absolute worldwide domination by the internet in less than 30 years. You know, if you think about 1994, when I first went to Ball State, we had to go to a computer lab to email. And we had computers upstairs in the attic of our fraternity house, and they were only used to type up papers. And I'd sit up there and drink beer and smoke cigarettes in the side window at 3 in the morning and type up papers that were due at 8 a.m. And it was like that was what the computer was for. That was it. There were some CD-ROMs. So that's 1994, and we're not even to 2024 yet. That's not even 30 years. And the worldwide domination of the Internet and the habits it's created inside of us are not things that we were necessarily suspecting or expecting or even had the intention to have introduced into our lives. And so when we start to look at the way habits are created, it's a four-step process outlined by James Clear in his book Atomic Habits. And the four-step process goes cue, craving, response, reward. 
And we're going to dive into this more over the next couple episodes because as we near 100, I really want to start to tap into the essence of why this is college success habits and why I brought this about. I'm getting a tremendous push from a lot of people in my inner circle to rebrand the show, something that's a little bit more widespread than just college success habits because I really do a lot of life coaching on this show. And I don't want to necessarily lose the college people, but at the same time, there's a tremendous amount of people out there who don't listen to the show because it's got the word college in it. And I honestly think this is a show that everyone would learn from, just like from sobriety to recovery. While I do talk about addiction and and sobriety in it, it's all framed around the idea of life coaching and growth mindset and empowerment and understanding why our minds think the way it does and the how of how we think. And it's really important to me that we understand our own mind because if we understand our own mind, then we we start to really get to tap into the roots of who we are and why we behave the way that we behave. And when we look at the four-step process that James Clear so eloquently wrote about in his book, Atomic Habits, you can't help but just be in awe of its simplicity. Cue craving response reward. And we have definitely touched upon this in past shows. But as we start to really get back to basics and start to understand why we become the person we become, And I mean, we're going to start diving back all the way to childhood and how you really start to take on other people's values and beliefs and habits at a young age and you don't even realize it. And that's the beauty of where you're at in your life. You have the choice to dissect your life and decide if you're happy with the way that you have organized it. Whether you're traditional or non-traditional college students, whether you're in the United States or one of the 150 plus countries that listen to this show, we all organize, our, our brains all organize things the same way. We, we might be using different file folders. We might be, you know, be, be labeling them differently only because of our own culture, our language, our experiences, the values and beliefs that we have. But ultimately... We're still taking in all of the external data through our five senses, touch, taste, sight, sound, smell. They're being run through the exact same filters. Some hold more precedent than others for each individual, but they're still the same filters and processes. And then it puts out, spits out this internal representation, this internal picture that's got you know visualization, it's got sounds, it's got feelings, and of course your inner self-talk. And so when you go and really break down the way that the mind thinks, like the how of how you create your world inside your head, and you really are creating your world inside your head. No two humans will ever see the world the same way. We won't watch a news report about some sort of political thing, and it won't be run through the filters and the processes the same way. But we create habits, and we create habits the same way. We all are using cue, craving, response, reward. And when you want to start to make a good habit, you want to start framing it around what is the cue, what is the craving, what is the response, and what is the reward. And when you think about the cue, you want to make it extremely obvious. If you're going to to change a habit, if you're going to start a new habit, The cue has to be extremely obvious. Think of an alarm clock. When that thing goes off in the morning, you know it just went off. 
I mean, I mean, that's the whole point of an alarm clock is to be extremely obvious. <laughs> if it's not obvious, it's probably not waking you up. So you're looking for an obvious cue. If you want to start working out in the morning, then you put your gym clothes with your shoes on a chair by the front door. If you want to start eating healthier, perhaps you prep um, your protein shake in the morning already in the blender waiting for you. So all you have to do is just wake up and pour in the water with the protein powder and it's ready to go. Maybe you just leave the blender on the cabinet all the time because now it's in your way when you go to maneuver in the kitchen. You're like, why is that in the way? Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be taking protein in. I got to make myself a protein shake. You make it really obvious. You make the craving that comes from the cue very attractive? What is the craving that will drive you to go and work out? What is it that you get? What is what is the attractiveness of the crave? This is where I say really attach to your why. Why are you wanting to be more in shape? Why are you wanting to get more healthy? Vanity isn't great fuel. And when people say, wow, Jesse, you know, you, you're, you're super vain because you love to talk about working out and being healthy and, you know, you put so much effort in, into your body and being healthy. And I'm like, yeah, vanity is like nitrous in fuel. It can push you over that last little hump. It can guilt you into getting up out of bed early before class in order to go work out. But it is not good fuel. Fuel is good fuel. Eating healthier will automatically cause you to want to be healthier. Going and jogging or walking 10,000 steps a day will automatically get you feeling healthier. And when it's time to eat, you're going to be like, well, I just walked 10,000 steps. I probably should have something healthier, right? You make the craving something that you, you see out in the future. Like what is it you want to work out? But is that is it real but that's not what you're really craving. That's not the goal. The goal isn't to work out. That's the process. Right? The process and the goal are not the same thing. The goal is getting an A. The goal is being able to run a seven minute mile. I don't know, whatever you want to run. I don't run miles like that anymore. I have old old man knees. <laughs> I've blown out both my meniscuses and LCL, my left knee and my right knee, the meniscus. So we don't run like that anymore. But what's, what is it that, what is your why, right? The process that you utilize to get to your goal, right? Why are you wanting to be healthy? Is it to be more attractive to the opposite sex? Is it to feel more comfortable in your own skin when you're giving presentations? Is it to fit into that really nice suit so that people compliment you whenever you go uh, to the family wedding or event? Like, what is that you're craving? That's where you're wanting to attach something that's attractive to it. You don't want to necessarily use a away from energy. I don't want to look fat when I go to the wedding. You want to use a, a good toward energy. I, I want to be healthy. I want people to enjoy uh, me dancing on the dance floor, whatever that might be. The craving has to be extremely attractive. Whatever it is that you're craving, you make it attractive to the point that your response becomes easy. It becomes easy to just grab your workout clothes and go to the gym because you've made the cue obvious. You've, you, the craving that you have from it is extremely attractive. You've, a, you've just asked yourself why. 
Like, you'd be amazed how many people will call me up. They'll hit me up on social media. They'll want to talk about my coaching programs. They'll want to talk about my online course or my mastermind. And if you've ever wanted to work with me, I have literally got a myriad of ways to make that happen. All the way from, you know, super passive where you can just listen to the podcast all the way to, you know, three months, six months, nine months, 12 month programs where we completely radically shift your entire sense of self. It is, there is a plethora of ways to do that. And consistently, whenever I ask people, why, why do you want to make this change? They don't really seem to have tapped into something that is tangible. And if it's not something that you can tap into, then it's not going to be attractive because you need to have that why. We want to be able to visualize it. You want to be able to know what you're going to say to yourself inside your own head whenever you are working on it. I'm very much into not not necessarily celebrating the accomplishment along the way as much as the dedication and commitment to the goal. The process, yeah, it's like, all right, great. I I walked another 12,000 steps today. But if I sit there and I pump up my horn too much on that, then what that tells my unconscious mind is, oh, we're getting rewarded just for participating in the process. So we did it. We walked 12,000 steps today. What's our reward? Some cookies? Well, no, because I want to stack multiple days of eating healthy and being active and working out on top of one another so that I release those three or four pounds or I release beginning of February, it was 27 pounds. You know, it was all toward achieving an ultimate goal. Now, when I get to that goal, there is a reward waiting for me. It's a, you know, it's a double layer red velvet cake with a cheesecake in the middle of it for my birthday. Can't wait for that to happen. And it's made it super, super easy for me to maintain this healthy uh, nutrition strategy for the last almost what, over three months now, February, March, April. Yeah, almost four months because I'm getting ready to go into June. And so that's about 120 days of just being super strict with myself. But the reward, what I'm craving, is having earned that double layer red velvet cake with a cheesecake in the middle of it. That craving is extremely attractive to me. And whenever somebody's like, come on, let's just go have have a burger or let's just go have a little bit of cake or something, it's easy for me to say no because I know that the reward I'm going to get whenever I've hit 159 is going to make all the difference. I just want to be the same way I was when I graduated high school, when I turned 45. It just seems like a cool thing to be able to say to myself, I accomplished. Nobody else cares. I have a t-shirt that says, nobody cares, work harder. And some people get offended whenever they see me wearing it. I'm like, sorry, nobody really cares. No one really cares what you're accomplishing. They might, your parents might go brag to everybody about it, right? They, They care, but they don't care as much as you will care. So it's important that you're always pushing yourself to work harder. Celebrate the victories, but don't ease up just because you're starting to see some accomplishment. And that's where the response being easy, right? Is your response to going to the gym easy? Is your response to getting up out of bed in the morning easy? I don't like it when it's cold. So when it's cold, I don't want to get up. So I keep clothes right next to the bed so that I can just immediately get up, put them on, and now I'm warmer. I get up, you know, I go and I weigh myself, brush my teeth, uh, bathroom, drink, drink about, uh, usually drink about 40 ounces of water, like within the first five minutes I'm awake, and then I'm allowed to have coffee. And then I get that, because I, I don't want coffee on an empty belly. I want to have some water in my body. My water, bodies are always dehydrated when you wake up. Feed it water. 
then drink up all the coffee you want. Anyways, sidebar. The reward. Is the reward satisfying? My reward, double red double red velvet cake with a cheesecake in the middle of it. Absolutely, that reward is going to be satisfying. The craving to achieve that award is attractive because I can think about the cake. But also, I'm just craving, you know, pushing myself harder every day and knowing that I'm achieving something. And I loved going back to the physical aspect when it's time to set up habits because our motor habits, there are three kinds of habits. Motor, uh, it's there's yeah, motor habits, your physical habits, your emotional habits, and your personality habits. And so it's really important for you to be able to ask yourself, what is it that you're looking to change? And when you're looking to change a habit in your life, one of the coolest ways to do it right out the gate is think about your motor habits, your the things that your physical body do. And let me correct myself. It was motor habits, intellectual habits, and emotional habits. So the beautiful thing about being in college, traditional or non-traditional, mind you, whatever country, none of this matters. One of the coolest things is that when you're there, you specifically went there to radically change your life. And when you start to look at your motor habits, your intellectual habits, and your emotional habits, this is a great opportunity to work on all of them. You know, you can be working out a little bit in between classes on campus. You can be changing your intellectual habits as far as how you study or how you read or how you take notes and your emotional habits. So many emotions ebb and flow in and out of you during any given semester, hell, during any given week. It gives you a great opportunity to experiment with new ways of creating your habits. And so when you think about the cue, is it an obvious cue? Is the craving attractive? Is what you will get from your response attractive enough to make you do it so you get to the reward? And then is the is the response easy? If you've got to make it to class on time in the morning and you've got to first wake up and then put on makeup for an hour and a half and then you've got to pack your backpack and you've got to pack your lunch and you've got to do all this stuff, it could take you three hours to get out of the house. Your response to making it to class on time isn't easy. That sounds quite difficult. So how much can you prepare the night before? And then that reward, satisfying. What is it about getting good grades? What is it about going to the gym? What is it about not getting emotionally triggered that will be satisfying to you? Now, as we dive into this more on further episodes, in order to break a habit, you want to make the cue invisible. You want to make the craving unattractive. You want to make the response difficult. And you want to make the reward unsatisfying. And when I help people stop smoking cigarettes, which is definitely something fun to do, the cue for smoking a cigarette can be, you know, um, after eating, um, after sex, after uh, getting out of class, after, you know, taking a shot. I mean, there's so many different, if you've ever smoked cigarettes, you know, it does not take, it's not very hard to come up with a cue for that. And so can you make that cue invisible? Can you can you hide it? Can you make it more difficult for that cue to be set off? But oftentimes when it comes to the cigarette aspect, you really can't because it's right there, right? But if you don't want to smoke cigarettes and, the, and when you're done eating, the cue is you feel them in your pocket or you know they're in your purse, you could just make them more invisible by not always carrying them around. Now that's going to push back the next time you have a cigarette, but it's not necessarily going to stop you from always having cigarettes. Uh, there's some great inner mind strategies that I run my clients through in order for them to achieve that. And they can do it pretty easily. I've seen people stop smoking cigarettes like in one session and they don't go back. 
um, craving? Is it unattractive? When you start to crave that cigarette, do you picture yourself having to hide in a corner because smoking isn't allowed inside anymore? Now you're standing around the ashtray and everybody's looking at you like the gross person who smokes cigarettes. Can you make that craving you're having around the cigarette unattractive? Can you make the response difficult? Can you make it so you're like, again, back when the cue is invisible, you know, if the cue is seeing your cigarettes, then a way to stop it from being so easy to respond is to make it so that the cigarettes aren't easily attainable and make them so that they're not even with you. And of course you can bend and ask other people for cigarettes, but then you could also make bumming cigarettes unattractive to yourself in your mind. And there's all strategies around doing this. If this is something that you really seem to be keen on, reach out to me. I can do this, run you through this entire thing in an hour-long session. And then if the response is difficult, you don't have the cigarettes with you, make the reward unsatisfying. Picture yourself in your mind, you know, being unhealthy, having greasy, oily skin, getting a beer belly because you smoke cigarettes, therefore you can't work out. So when you want to break a habit, you want to make the cue invisible, the craving unattractive, the response difficult, and the reward unsatisfying. And oftentimes, the best way to break a bad habit is to just replace it with a good habit. I'll leave us on this. The human brain doesn't really delete anything that it's ever learned. A habit that's existed within you always exists within you. It can absolutely lose its power over you the the longer you go in between firing off that habit before, you know, having that cue craving response reward loop met. You know, if you uh, used to smoke in college, but now you're you know, 17 years past college and you haven't had one since you graduated, that habit of smoking is still in you. You've just replaced it with other habits that now have more importance in your mind. The way that your synapses fire along their lines and the way they connect to the cells and all that in your brain, that habit of smoking still there. The the uh, width of the of the synapses, the the width of the connection between your 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 brain cells, it might be much tinier and thinner now because you haven't smoked in two decades, but the the connection is still there. But now you haven't smoked in two decades. The the new habit of eating healthy and running two miles a day has taken over, and you've done that for the last twenty years. And now all of a sudden that that connection is like this grand massive super highway. 147 lanes, everything goes super fast, it's super wide and thick, and that's that's what's controlling it. But that old habit still is inside of you. It's just been muted and basically turned off. But this is one of the reasons why people who used to drink, who get into addiction recovery, and then if they relapse, they often go back even harder than it was before. That habit of drinking still exists inside of me. Even 52 and a half months of being sober, it still exists inside of me. I have just put it in the shadows. It's just in its own little box in the corner. But it's still there. I've replaced it with thousands of new, more healthy habits. But it's still there. It doesn't ever disappear it still exists. The brain just creates new things on top of old things, and it just keeps stacking them like that. 
So when you go to change a habit and you and you understand cue craving response reward, you can fully begin to not worry about deleting the old habit, but creating a brand new habit that's stronger and better and more healthier for you, that serves you better. You can create that on top of the old habit. When you release the, the need, that, that unquenching need to completely delete that habit from your life, when you release that, because it's not going to happen, it will exist in your mind. Your mind will always remember that you used to smoke cigarettes or you used to do a bunch of shots or you used to sleep in and show up late to class and work all the time. Your brain will not forget that stuff. You know, it may not be as fresh and on the surface, but our brain is the most powerful supercomputer in, in our known universe than for, for what humans know. And just like a normal computer doesn't necessarily forget something. I've even read somewhere that even when you delete files, you don't necessarily, like, they don't necessarily just poof, go away in ashes. Like, they're still somewhere on the computer. It's like that in your brain, too. And that might be where the computer analogy starts to fall apart a little bit. But I really just want to stress to you, release that need to completely delete the old habit and replace it with the desire to create brand new healthier habits on top of it so those take precedent over the habits you're now looking to release and you do this by thinking about cue craving response reward make the cue obvious make the craving attractive what is it that you're craving from this habit what is it that you want from this habit make that super attractive Make the response easy and make the reward satisfying. So you're like, yeah, that was totally worth it. That's it. And when you're doing this for good habits, then it will obviously bring you thing. It'll bring you a whole behavior mechanism, a whole identity that serves the highest you. If you unconsciously allow cue craving response or reward to be triggered off around bad habits, that's where you just go through life very unconscious of what's happening to you, you know, calling your life, oh, it's it, that was just fated to happen that way. I was just fated to get a bad grade. No, you allowed bad habits to fire off the cue craving response reward. You made this bad habit very obvious, very attractive, very easy, and very satisfying. And next thing you know, you drank away three whole semesters, and now your GPA is below the Mason-Dixon line. So... Be mindful of how these, how this cue craving response reward can actually uh, come back to haunt you because it will absolutely be the same pattern that creates a bad habit in your life as one that creates a good habit. And just like breaking any habit, it's going to take effort. It's going to take, you know, depending on the complexity of it, 3, 7, 14, 21, 28 days or more. Right, 20, 21 days to really start to break or create a brand new habit and 90 days to create a lifestyle. So when you start on this new habit, you want to make sure that you ride it out for you know, three months just super hard and strong and really cement that into your mind. This is why a lot of coaching programs are 90 days, why a lot of workout programs are 12 weeks. This is why 90 days ends up being the hallmark for a lot of different um programs that are that, that tell you that they can help you achieve something because in about 90 days it really becomes a major part of you, of who you are it starts to attach to your identity and just become a deeply implanted habit and if it's a good habit 
then it's going to bring out the best version of you. If it's a not-so-good habit, you're going to have to contend with it down the road because one way or another, a habit will either be beneficial for you or undesirable. And it's up to you to make the meaning in your own mind of how that's actually looking for you. No one else can tell you whether what you're doing is necessarily good or bad. You're the one who has to ultimately decide whether you even believe yourself, let alone them. You doing heroin is definitely not good, but there are plenty of people who do it for years who will not listen to anyone when they say stop doing that. Showing up late to class, turning in paperwork late, yelling at people whenever they question you. Those are habits people have been involved in for decades of their life, and it is not beneficial. And one day, they're going to have to decide if it's willing to be worth the effort to change that. Because if not, they will often be the person who wakes up looking back at their life wondering, why on earth did I not try then? Because either way, I have to deal with it now. <laughs> so I know for some of y'all who are 18 to 25, you're like, whatever this old crazy dude's talking about. But I'm telling you what, this isn't one of those do as I say, not as I do. I'm an old man. I know everything. Hell, I'm only 45. And I can tell you this much, uh, you know, like aging nothing but a number is it's all mindset i'll go rock out to some music and, and dance around just as much as the next person only thing that's different about who i am now versus who i was when i was 25 is i have 20 more years of experience to call upon to go back and realize i was a dumbass <laughs> As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. I said 20 to 30 minutes. It's 33. I attempt it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.